0: You are listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Happy day after Valentine's Day. Glad you're with us today. We are uh, continuing through our series with Colossians. And today we happen to reach a portion of scripture that is about marriage. So I'm uh, looking forward to talking about it today. Uh, We've been going through this whole uh, concept, a deeply rooted tree when the storms come survive. But a tree that has soft, shallow, or weak roots, when the storms come, it just can't stand. And even a tree that looks good on the outside, if it has a poor root system, it will not stand. Well, we've been talking about a church in a real place in ancient world called Colossae. The place didn't, doesn't even exist anymore. In fact, about 50 years after this letter was written, an earthquake wiped out that city and the people moved away. So it's basically a desolate, ancient, uh, you know, uh, you know, place of uh, of old buildings. that A lot of them don't even exist anymore. It's just mostly in writing. Colossae is a real ancient place that existed, and it was a church that was only about six years old. Some of the people in the church had given their life to Christ, uh, led to Christ by Paul in a neighboring city called Ephesus, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Six years into their life as a church, they began to struggle, and their pastor, Epaphras, needed some counsel From the guy who was kind of the apostle of many of the people that led uh, and responsible that led many of those people to Christ. The problem was the apostle Paul was in prison in Rome. So Epaphras traveled all the way to Rome from his little town of Colossae to ask Paul some advice concerning some of the issues that their church uh, was going through. And the letter of Colossians is the response from Paul to that church. Um, we get our theme verse from Colossians two six. It says this. This is one of his responses. He says, just as you receive Christ, Jesus is Lord, continue. I'm about to say continue. Continue to live your lives in him. He says, man, giving your life to Christ, that is awesome. But that's just the start. That's just the start. Continue. He says, rooted and built up in Him strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. He says, keep growing, stay grounded, be rooted in Christ, and stay strong in what you were taught. So basically, this letter is broken up into two halves. The first half is uh, called orthodoxy. The second half is called orthopraxy, which means the first half is about what you believe. The second half is about what you practice I put it this way, the first half is the roots system, the second half is the fruits system. So Paul has already laid a foundation in the first half, and he basically gives a clear definition of the gospel, a clear definition of who Christ is, that he's God in the flesh, a warning to not be deceived and led astray, and now he begins to define what it looks like, the fruit that falls off a truth that's rooted well in Christ. And last week we talked about how he said we've been called to take off our old life and put on a new life, and he says it affects every area of our life. And today he says it goes home. He says how we live with Jesus affects the way we are in the most intimate of our relationships. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We talked about that last week, how how when we walk with Christ, it affects every area of our life. A well-rooted tree drops fruit everywhere, good fruit. And then he says this, then he adds how it affects our most personal places. And then he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And then he says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Then he goes on to talk about how there's a relationship with, husband, uh, with moms and dads and kids that's affected. And then he goes on to say it affects our areas of work, and we're going to talk about those next week. Uh, today, I want to focus on these two pieces right here. Today, uh, aptly, with it being Valentine's yesterday, we we're going to talk about marriage. Marriage. Um, now, some of you, you're like, oh, great. Marriage. Pastor's going to tell me all the things i got to do to make sure my marriage is whatever. You know, or some of you might think, well, I'm single. This doesn't apply to me. Where's my phone? I want to play a game. And if you're a teen, you might be thinking, oh, great, marriage, old people stuff. And then you're going to kind of check out and go to sleep. I want to challenge Or maybe your marriage is is not in good shape. And uh, you came in and you're like hoping for some some confidence and some reassurance and some healing due to a struggle in your marriage and it's not doing well, and you think, well, this doesn't apply to me, and you're kind of try to figure out a way to slip out to go to the bathroom and maybe check out Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Just kidding. By the way, today's message is called Fifty Shades of Grace because what we're talking about today takes a tremendous amount of grace. God has given us everything we need, all of his grace that is needed to walk a marriage, to live a love life that is uh, transforming. So 50 Shades of Grace today, this is for everybody. Uh, You don't have to check out, Um, this is a fragile issue because uh, honestly, most marriages are not doing well and uh, most homes are not doing well. When you have 50% of marriages ending in divorce and the other 50 that stay together, half of them aren't happy. So you've got one out of four couples are happy together. Uh, you've got you know, a quarter of them staying together because they have to for the kids and because they don't believe in it or because it's convenient, it's financial. They live in separate rooms. They live separate lives. They're single but together. And then you've got 50 that just are going through the cycle of trying another round to see if it works. Or some of them have, have signed off on marriage altogether saying it's impossible. So it is, it is quite an interesting thing we're going to talk about. Um, maybe the roles in the home are upside down and you're frustrated um, I will say this. I, I remember when I uh, uh, was about to marry my wife. We've been married 22 years this year. And uh, we are not, I'm not speaking out of, out of expertise. I'm speaking out of one who's on a journey with Christ just like you to live a godly life as a husband uh, or um, in a marriage. And, um, but I remember before I got married, my wife and I, we were, had dated for a long time. We knew each other in, uh, in, in school. In, in and we were in youth group together, so, you know, it does happen. You can meet someone in youth group and get married. And uh, we met in youth group, and we ended up dating for a long time, and we went to Bible college together, and then um, we went to Dallas Baptist University together, and uh, it, it was like one of those things, you know, are you going to do this or what, Ted? You know, so I knew it was time, and I was, uh, you know, I was still scared, but I knew this she was the one. I didn't want to live my life without her. So uh, before I asked her to marry me, I went and met with her dad. And actually, I was working that day. I was managing a warehouse, and and I was the only one there because uh, uh, you know I, I was the shipping manager, I was the uh, the uh, the stocking manager, and I was the where I was. It was basically this big warehouse I ran by myself. And um, so I called her dad and say, hey, "Can you meet me at work? I need to talk to you about something." Right? i all you know instead of me going to him, I had him come to me because I. Anyhow, it's a long story. Uh, anyhow, he, uh, he came there and, uh, man, I was like, man, I was sweating bullets, man. I was like scared, And uh, they're scared and they're scurred. I was scared. And, and I, I had him, you know, sit down, and we were just talking, and I told him how much I loved his daughter. By this time, he would kind of got used to me being around. He kind of knew that I was probably going to marry his daughter at some point because we'd been together for many years, and we were out of high school now. We were in college, and it was, it was probably he probably knew something like this conversation was going to be coming. But I remember asking him, can I marry your daughter? And he so graciously said, no way, forget it. Uh, no, actually he said absolutely and he was just a he's been a, a wonderful father-in-law, he's been like a father to me. I love him so much. But I remember when he left, I was like, Oh man, I'm doing this. And I was I thought I was scared talking about this to him. No, like I was like really scared because I'm like, man, this is this is big. I'm going from managing my own life to managing another person's life with them. And and I'm going to be going from managing my life to maybe one day having a child and and try, oh Lord I need you more than ever. And I just remember after he left, I remember I got on my knees right there at work in the office, and I just was praying, God, I need you because uh, every marriage in my family was a disaster, and I didn't I didn't want that. Um, now I say disaster, meaning some of them have recovered, and with a second round, but. I, I didn't want a second round you know I want I want I wanted my wife to be the wife of my life so uh, I remember that God we need your help so uh we're going to jump into this story we're going to unpack this verse and we're going to take a look at the letter that he wrote to the church down the road about a hundred miles in Ephesus and um I want you to write this down a reality check marriage will will have its challenges marriage will be difficult now I've got um, two chairs here, and I need a married couple to help me out. Can I get a married couple to help me out down here? Oh, <laughs> did you ask your husband before you stood up? All right, <laughs> all right, lovely. All right, I want you guys to um, just stand right there for a second because you guys are going to do something fun here. Well, you can come over here, but you know, but don't have a seat yet. Now, these these paddles represent uh, different people. And, you know, how we, you know, we're different shapes and sizes and colors, and we're just you know, just a lovely group of people, right? And, uh, you know, some of us, we, uh, we pair up because we think, man, we have everything in common. And then, and then for some, it's our differences that drew us together, and, and it's also the, the things that make us argue a lot. Um, But you know what? These people argue just as much as this. So if you think, man, if I just had more in common, life would be better. No, step into their house. There's just as much arguing over over the little stuff, Uh, false expectations. And uh, I was telling my daughters yesterday, you know what arguing is? It's basically being upset that things didn't go your way. So every time you argue, it's pretty much a declaration of you didn't do what I wanted you to do. Uh, That's every argument. Think about it for a second. Every argument, for the most part is based upon the fact that somebody didn't do what you wanted, all right, to be done the way that you thought it should be done, whether it's your kids, your wife, your work, whatever. So it's a birth out of selfishness, not about how compatible we are. All right, so I want you guys to pick a paddle that represents you. Go ahead. Any paddle. Pick a paddle, any paddle. Yeah, Just okay. Any one of these? All right. She's going old school. All right. Now, when we get married, uh, here, come on over here. When we get married, um, we are two individuals, right? Now, if you uh, are like Mike who uh, kayaks, um, when you kayak, you're, you're, you're in charge, right? Singleness is like the kayak, all right? You, whether you have a double paddle or if you have a paddle like this. When you're in a kayak, who's in charge? You are. Who leads the direction? <laughs> if you're dating, it might be. But you're pretty much dictating your own direction. You're in charge of your own life. You're doing your own things. You go where you want to go. You stop when you want to stop. Uh, You go as far out as you want to go out. You even, you know, kick off the coast whenever you... I mean, you are fully your own boss in a kayak. But when you get married, the kayak days are over. And all of a sudden, you're a two-man boat, right? You're a two-man kayak. So go ahead and I want you to pick a seat that represents if you're going in that direction... The seats you would take in a canoe. Go ahead. Now, if you're moving in that direction, all right. So, that, yeah, you're going that direction. Now, now, why would you pick the front? There's more power in the front? There's more power in the front. Anybody agree or disagree with that? I'm gonna be steering. She. Do you hear what she just said? She goes. So I'm going to be steering. The person who does steer is in the back. He said, but not in this boat. Well, <laughs> all right, well, I would, <laughs> all right, we're going you decide if you're going to switch, because actually it's going to come up here in a minute, because the person in the back does, <laughs> see, that's what a good wife does, right there, see? all right, now I'm going to explain here in a minute, because that does not mean uh, what you might think it means. We're going to talk a little bit about the concept of how marriage is like a canoe singleness is like the kayak. You are your own boss, but in a canoe. Have you guys ever gone canoeing with your husband or wife before? Raise your hand. Yeah. All right. How many of you thought that it was awesome? All right. How many thought it was hard at first? I mean, like, man, at first it's like you couldn't get your act together, right? You get two people uh, not communicating, maybe not going in the same direction, not voicing kind of clear directions of how and, you know, when they're going to paddle. Paddles are, people are getting wet, you know what I'm saying? If you've ever gone canoeing and someone's never canoed, the person in the back is usually soaked, right, by the person in the front. And so you're getting soaked. The guy in the back's getting soaked. You can't, your you're, paddles are getting hit. There's bickering. You're going in circles. You're zigzagging. How many's ever been there before on a canoe with somebody, anybody, maybe not your spouse? Well, that's the way it is with the canoe until you get your act together. Until you decide that we're going to go in the same direction, in the same way, and uh, there's clear communication. Uh, all right, now I want you to paddle. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to go over here, and I'm going to continue preaching. And I want you guys to figure out how, if you were to go in that direction, you would paddle, okay? and you. I'll let you guys figure that out. You guys can keep an eye on them. Uh, the Bible is both romantic and realistic, all right? When you think of marriage and relationships in the Bible, you know, it's not all arranged marriages in the Bible. In fact, you have in the Old Testament some beautiful pictures of someone going out and looking for their own wife and or their own husband. And, and how there's even in one case where a guy, uh, it was like ancient online dating. He put in his request, and he sent someone out to go find her. That was Jacob, and Jacob found her. She met all the requirements, came back and said, you got to meet this gal, and then the first blind date was set up. And uh, there is that picture. You also have arranged marriage in some of the culture, but basically it's not what you would uh, think of marriage and dating today. It was different. And the cultures were different. Over the course of 5,000 years, the Bible didn't carry the same model of finding your wife, but it said when you find one, you found a good thing, husbands. Um, Song of Solomon is is uh, generally romantic. Uh, the, the book of Genesis, husbands and wives, their stories are generally romantic. Some of the stories in the New Testament uh, or in the uh, Old Testament are very romantic. Here's what First Corinthians 7.28 says. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. That's good news, right? You haven't... <laughs> Yeah, you got married. I've sinned. This is definitely a marriage that is wrong. Uh, He says, man, if you marry, you haven't sinned. He says, and if you're a virgin and you marry, you haven't sinned. It says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Everybody say many troubles. How do you guys feel like you're doing on the canoe over here? All right. How do you guys feel like they're doing? They're They're rocking it. All right. Now, you... You kind of got a pattern down. All right, you can stop for a minute in case your arms are getting tired. Unless you want to, you can just coast down the river now. Um, yeah, get ready. It's going to get rough. Um, I like this because he says uh, those who marry will will face troubles. If you get married, guess what you're going to have? You're going to have trouble, right? The context is that the Apostle Paul was aware of an approaching difficult season in the church's life he was writing to a church in corinth and they were on the verge of tremendous tremendous persecution by the roman government so he writes this letter and he says guys listen we're about to go through a period of intense persecution and if you're single stay single because it's going to be tough enough and you can focus on the lord and living strong but for those of you that are married just know It's trouble before, but it's going to be extra trouble now. He says this in 732 of 1 Corinthians. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. He says, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world and how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman, a virgin, is concerned about the affair uh, about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world and how she can please her husband. He goes, and I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a way that is undivided, uh, the, in, in divided, undivided devotion in the Lord. In other words, he says, maximize. Your singleness. He says, if you're single, then thank God for that. So many of you single people in here cannot wait to be not single. You're like you're so desirous of being with somebody that somehow being with somebody is going to fill the void in your heart and in your life. The only thing that's going to fill that void is Jesus, is a relationship with God. That hole in your soul is only filled by a relationship with God himself. And when you get married, you think that's going to fix you. It's not going to fix you. It's going to bring to you trouble. Now, in, in in the case of someone who's married, that's trouble that I was uh, ready for and I embraced. And I've loved my marriage. I have. I wouldn't want to redo of any of it I, other than to be able to do it all over again. Because I love my wife. I love being married. and And I didn't seek to be married to fix me. And my wife didn't get married to fix herself. So if you're single, maximize your singleness. There are things that as a single person you can do now in the kayak that you can't do when you're married. You're a team player when you get married. And, and basically that will bring a challenge. There are, You know, I sit in marriage counseling and, and there is a variety of things that can bring strife. Everything from controlling the thermostat To who does the driving and who does the talking while the other person's driving, a side seat driver, to how the house is kept clean. Maybe you've had some arguments over some of these things. Or to the things you're going to eat. My wife is committed to helping me to eat healthier and I'm committed to staying exactly the same. Uh, everything from what we're going to do on a date to entertainment, the things we're going to watch, the movies we're going to watch, The uh, how many of you guys are sucked into comedy romance movies and lifetime movies? And Anybody here? Nobody's committed to them. Huh? You're like, no, I'm not sucked into anything. I don't watch them, right? How many of you love men? Raise your hand if you love a good comedy romance. Come on. You no know, shame in the game. All right. I like some good ones. There's not very many of them. Uh, but I would not have initially been... You know, intrigued by them. How many of you women love action? explosions? Oh, how many of you women like science fiction? All right. How many of you like fantasy films? All right, you'd be like you like Lord of the Rings, that's a fantasy film. Okay. You're like, fantasy, that sounds bad. No, it's it's like Lord of the Rings. All right. <laughs> all right. Not talking about Fabio romances or anything. Um all right. To purchases, some of the things that you're canoeing, you got to go in the same direction on. And leadership is is uh, you got your purchases, uh, arguments about how you're going to raise your kids. One's more strict than the other. Maybe one believes in spanking and one doesn't, or or bedtimes and everything to what they're going to eat, to to dealing with intimacy, not enough, too much, or or uh, you know what happened to it. There's all these. It's a challenge. Being married is. A challenge, when you go from the kayak to the canoe, when you go from a single-person ship to a two-person vehicle or to a two-person, you know, uh, mode, it, it brings challenges. Now, what what would you say, Tiny, is the key to making sure you guys are going in the same direction in the canoe? Communication. He just said it. He hit the button. Communication, communication. Because if, you know, I see it all the time. No, go right. I said go left. Go right. What are you doing? I I love going canoeing with young people because most of those guys have never been in a canoe before. And they're just like all over the place. And they're shouting and yelling. And then finally, there's a couple of them. They get it down. They get it. And even when you're going in the right direction for a while, all of a sudden, things begin to go out of whack if you don't stay focused. All right? So uh, to the Colossian church, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh. Uh, often this is misunderstood. This verse is abused. Let's take a look at some of the context. I'm going to ask you guys to come back in a minute, but you guys can go ahead and have a seat for now so that you guys don't have to sit on these comfortable stools. Okay. Let's take a look at at the context of this. First, we're going to talk to the men, two things, and then we're going to talk to the women, two things, and we're going to talk to everybody, two things, uh, a few things. So um, for husbands who plan on, this is, if you're, Plan on being a man of God. This is for you. If you're a woman who wants a man of God, these next few things are for you. If you're a single, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. If you're a single lady and you want a ring on it, uh, all right, I can't. All right. All right, I can't. No, that's all right. That's cool. We're running out of time already. Um for husbands, uh, and, and maybe, maybe you're a single woman who wants a husband. This is a couple of things you need to be looking for. If you're a, a single man, then these are a couple of things that you need to strive for. Um, this is for women who have husbands and you want to see them raise to the, uh, rise to the challenge. Uh, this, is, this is for everybody. Don't tune out because you're married or single, all right? Or going, or single again. Don't tune out. Uh, so for husbands, first of all, this is this. This verse tells us a couple things. It says that, uh, first of all, that you're a servant leader. But I want to define it because in this passage, it says that servant leadership includes sacrifice and gentleness. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. That's that's men who are leading. We're going to talk about that in a second. As is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. That's sacrifice. And do not be harsh with them. That's gentleness. Husbands, God has called you to lead the home. God has called men to be the leader. Now, a a moment ago, um, they had to switch directions because in a canoe, uh, it is the back that does steer. It is the back that steers the direction of the canoe. Now, someone in the front can steer the canoe if the person in the back does nothing. You realize that? So if the person does nothing in the back, the person in the front can take over. But the way that God says we are designed in marriage is this idea that husbands, you are to be a servant, sacrificial, gentle leader of the home. And I'm convinced the more I talk to wives is, is they don't want to be the leader. They want to be a leader. They want to be a valued co-leader, but they don't want to be the primary leader in a marriage. Um, Genesis 3, 6, we get this picture. It says, when woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And everybody there tend to blame the woman, uh, but actually God had put man... On the planet to lead and to guide, and gave him a great, great counselor, help, and co leader to help him in his leadership, and that is his wife, Eve, woman. Uh, He was to be the leader. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. A lot of people think that Adam was down around the corner someplace, maybe taking a nap, watching the game somewhere, or, you know, whittling, you know, some magnificent item out of a tree because he was like super skilled and manly and all that. No, he was with her. She was being enticed by the enemy. And she had her husband right beside her, who was right behind her, who was around her. And he did nothing. Except he joined in and he, uh, he ate it, it says. Then both the eyes of them were open and they realized they were naked. Uh, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. That was an attempt to cover up their own shame of what they have done. I want you to note this. Is that um, you might write this in the margins, is never let her choose where to eat. Uh, the balance of the universe <laughs> hangs on it. Uh, I want you to notice where Adam was. Adam was right there all along, uh, where was the leader in the leadership he was called to be uh, when he chose not to lead, when he chose not to be the one to help and to guide what followed was chaos in the family. And I tell you, man, when you choose not to lead, chaos will follow in the family. Um, I want us to jump over to Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, by the way, Ephesus, the letter where this was written to, is only 100 miles from Colossae. Uh, It's just right down the path. And uh, Colossae and Ephesus, in fact, some of the people in Colossae were actually led to Christ at the church in Ephesus. So it is no doubt that the letter that we're about to read was actually read in Colossae. So when Paul wrote those two verses in Colossae, they probably go, oh, yeah, that reminds us of that letter to the Ephesians that said something very similar. Well, let's read what he wrote to the Ephesians because it's a little bit more detailed. He says in verse 25 of chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her, the church, holy, cleansing her, the church, by the washing with water and through the word, and to present her, that's the church, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other uh, uh, blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus gave his life for the church. He gave his life so that we could become his bride, the church. He served us. He never gives up on us. He continues to work in us, maturing us, guiding us. He's committed to seeing us grow and to see us shine as radiant beings in this world. And then Paul says, in the same way, In what Christ has done for us, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. In the same way that Christ loves us and all that he's done for us and the church is the same way you should love your wife. As your own body, he loves... Lovely. He who loves his wife loves himself. If you know what's good for you, love your wife. I think your wife might have even said that if you know what's good for you. After all... No one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. I think a lot of times, sacrificial leadership, servant sacrificial leadership is misunderstood. This is what it looks like according to the Bible. Uh, it means that sacrifice means it gives more than it gets. This is when you think of you as a husband. Uh, it means that you give more than you get. It means that it does the job she doesn't like. How many of you have ever done a job she didn't like? All right, it reminds me like about a week ago, we've had this visitor in our house that's been living there for like about a month and we've had such a hard time. He showed up on Thanksgiving day or Christmas day, Christmas day, so it's been longer than a month. And uh, we have been trying to, to to get him out of our house. This visitor was a mouse. And uh, we have, we've heard him in our bedroom. We hear in the middle of the night that clicky noise, like he's, like, he's eating something that made me mad because I could not find it. We were putting traps out, you know, old school smack traps, you know, break his neck traps. And uh, we were putting those behind the stuff. And I'm like, don't be surprised if in the middle of the night you hear a snap. And, you know, well, we could not catch this little booger. And sometimes we'd hear it in the bedroom. We'd hear it in the in the dresser. One time Nicole comes out of the bathroom and it, and it runs out from underneath the chair in the bedroom to the armoire. And she's like, you know, and I'm like, oh. And uh, we'll we'll be watching TV late at night in the living room. We can hear it in our oven going. And I'm like, uh, he's eating into our new oven that we just got last year, and it was getting mad. I couldn't couldn't find it. I was putting stuff out there, traps, and finally, uh, I went and I got an arsenal uh, of of mice traps, and it was like a lot and more than I needed. And uh, and then I got like those little sticky trays, you know. Cause like no matter what we put down for food, he wasn't buying it. He wasn't eating the peanut butter. wasn't going for the cheese. He didn't even want the bacon. Uh, so we're like, man, he's not he's not going for anything. We heard him in our laundry room. We heard him in the oven. We heard him in our bedroom, in our armor, behind our chair. I'm like, this guy's going down. And uh, so I put the little sticky square things. I pulled out all the pantry, all, all the um, all the oven drawers, you know, so you could see all the way back. And I. Took a broom and I stuck two traps back to the back of the wall. And I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is going to happen. And all of a sudden, that night, we heard a squeaking cry for help. And I'm like, yes. And the girls were out into the oven, like, oh, he's so cute. He's so cute, Daddy. It's so sad. It's so sad. And I'm like, no. Die. And uh, and Nicole's like, I'm not getting it. You get it. I'm not getting it. I'm not. She didn't want to touch it. She didn't want to look at it. And I'm like, I got it out. And that thing's like body, face on the thing going, beep, beep, his legs. And while he's trying to get the rest of it, his, his head got stuck. So now he's like squirming. He's got one leg dangling off, you know, and he's it, just going like crazy. And I'm holding this trap and this, he's on top of it. And the girls are screaming. And Nicole's like, oh, oh. And I'm just, she's like, because I am so glad I have a husband," she <laughs> said, "to do that. Who does that sort of stuff? So, um, yeah, not glad that she has me. Just any husband <laughs> that could do that sort of stuff. So I, <laughs> it's like, uh, where's a hammer? I <laughs> said, step one, trap him with the. Step two. <laughs> no, I didn't. Didn't do a hammer. I did the. That would have been the humane thing. You know what I did? I just put him in the trash outside. That's all I did. And as I walked away, I heard, <laughs> I heard that little squeaky as I was walking in. Uh, Should You know what I could have done? I could have just left him on top and a raccoon would have eaten him. But then We'd all been a happy cycle of life. Uh, <laughs> then the raccoon had been walking around, with a plastic thing on his foot. So anyhow, it was like, we do things that... Uh, she doesn't like. We do the job she doesn't like, you know. Maybe it's uh, some of the stuff around the house. It spiritually guides the home. This is what a husband does. A husband, a husband is the one that says, you know what, we need to find a church. A husband says, you know what, it's time to get up and go to church. A husband says, make sure we don't stay up too late on Saturday nights to make sure that we can get our family in line. You know, a husband decides we're gonna, that he's going to be the pastor of the home, not the pastor at the church. I am a shepherd of the body of Christ here, that God has put me here. But you know what? You're the shepherd of a whole other flock, and that is your wife and your kids. If you have kids, you're the pastor dad. You're the pastor husband. God's called you to spiritually guide the home. Uh, Your system of life is sacrifice. The things that you did before, the, the things you went out and did, Uh, You know, the amount of time you spend uh, playing video games is changed, is sacrificed, if you're a good husband. The amount of time you spend out, going places, doing things, uh, and then the things that you don't like doing, maybe you have to do, honey, can you pick up some groceries? I'm like, oh, you know, I don't like, that's one of the things I least, uh, like doing least, is I really don't like going grocery shopping. We used to go grocery shopping a lot when we first got married, and then she's transitioned into having daughters that like to go, thank God. And a wife has a great mother-in-law who likes to go grocery shopping. I'm not a big grocery shopper fan. Uh, And then my old way of life went out the window, like my old plates, my old mix-match plates that I had when I was single. You know, guys, we have a lot of stuff that we don't need, Uh, maybe posters of cars and stuff that maybe don't need to be up I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, Some of our, uh, you know, some of those dead animals that are sitting on our walls and stuff, we we make their way into our own little haven of a garage or something. Uh we you know, it used to be I what's a cutting board? Who need I don't buy a cutting board. But when I got a wife now I got like twenty cutting boards and you know, I got I got a ton of cutting boards and now our whole counter is granted, our whole counter is a cutting board, so I win again. So it's back to not having a cutting board. Uh getting toilet paper, my whole cycle of life, you know, when when we ran when I was a single person, I ran out of toilet paper, you know what you just made do. Oh wait a minute! That's kind of funny. <laughs> that was not intentional. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> oh man, I gotta remember. Where's a pen? You gotta write that down, down. No, you just you just worked it out. You know, you just you just made sure that there was other stuff, newspapers and paper towels and napkins. You know, when you get married, you don't know that works anymore. My old cycle of my old life went out the window. Now it is. Toilet paper, no matter what, and we always have plenty. So, because my wife is always prepared, and uh, you know, a servant, sacrificial leadership, it's someone who's gentle in words and in actions. It says, husbands, do not be harsh with her. You know, if you're a single person, this is the kind of man you should be dating and be looking to date. This is the, if your boyfriend or the guy that you're interested in is not these things, yeah, run away exactly. Then he's not. He's not. He's not husband material. Um, if he's sacrificial or is he self-seeking? Um, does he lead spiritually, or do you are you the one who's dragging him to church? Is that person gentle, or does he snap back? Not just maybe he's, if he's gentle with you, but harsh with others. Guess what? He'll be harsh with you because that's his mo. That's that's his character. If you see him snap at his parents, he's going to snap at you. If you see him talk about people behind their back, he's going to talk. About you, to his friends, I tell you, this is a definition of what to look for. Number two, husbands, your wife needs you to pursue her. He says, husbands, love your wives. He says, love your wives. The key word here is to initiate. Um, flowers, cards, kind words. Now, my wife just recently has told me. I mean, this is what a good wife does. She has, she's so good at loving me in my faults and helping me to be a better man because that i'll tell you what uh though a man is called to lead the wife is called to make that man a dynamic and great leader so my wife is my number one counselor my number one teacher my number one advice giver she's the one who i care about her words more than anybody else in this room and regardless of what you say if she says i'm loved and i'm cared for and i'm cool uh not cool as in like i'm cool but as in like i'm good you know as in like you know, things are all right, you're going to make it, then that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what you think because she's my number one. And uh, outside of Christ, she is all that matters. And because of that, my wife is so good at talking to me. And she says recently, she's told me that uh, I need to increase my effort to pursue her. You know, I'm like, what pastor, he's not pursuing his wife. I'm pretty good, you know. I get flowers and cards and Text and stuff, but my wife is so good at saying, you know what? I love you, in spite of you, you know, being a jerk sometimes. Not that I'm a jerk, but I'm, I'm sure I am at times. She says, you know what? I want you to pursue me, it's because she says it makes me feel valuable. And so, you know, she's convicting me. You know, I need to do exactly what. Paul says, husbands, love your wife. The word there is a, you take the initiative to pursue love. It's not the response love. It's not husbands love your wife because she loves you. It's to take the initiative to love on her, graciously affectionate love. It's not, you know, I love you with my heart. You know, it's not words. This is love in the Bible. The word here is a, act of love a sense of affection and where you're doing something to not just say it but you're actually living it and doing it um pursue it means to desire her to know her uh things that she needs for you this is one of the big ones i mean and let's let's face it man we're not very good at this right husbands we're we're not very good at thinking about these things are we are we anybody going to agree with me on that Because I know many of you, and you're not. (laughs) This would be a real good time for you to own up in your leadership, lack, and say, you know, I could be better at it. Okay? Proverbs 30, 21, it says, Under three things, the earth trembles. That means here's three things, and he says, Under four things, it cannot bear up. Here's four things that are going to turn the world upside down in a bad way. He says, number one, a servant who becomes a king. That means a guy who doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, Number two, a fool who is... Full of food, that means that someone who's not just food, but the sense of alcohol. The, a fool who has had more than enough is reckless. So that's that sense, where he gets wild. And then I like number three, an unloved woman who is married. Mm. And then the third one, a maidservant who displaces her mistress. That means her job is to to take care of uh, her, her, uh, her lady, and uh, he lose, she doesn't care for her, and that's bad news. Um, anyhow, but uh, the third one, an unloved woman. Who is married. I tell you, this is an issue. There's a lot of women who feel unloved in marriage. Husbands, love your wives. Pursue her. Desire her. Initiate affection. Ephesians 5 compares the leadership of the husband to Christ's leadership of the church. This is not about our needs or just getting along. This is about the sacrifice that Christ gave to us when he gave his life and how we should give and sacrifice our life for our bride and give our life for her There's some additional verses in your worship guide. I want to take a switch now over real quick to talk about the women for the wives. Colossians 3.18 says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. This is, by the way, unto the Lord. When a wife, you know, when when Ida says, you know what, let's switch places, you know what? She was taking a very strong initiative role to make sure that uh, that, that, uh, Tiny was in the leadership role of this canoe. Uh, and that's a very godly, that's a godly woman. I mean, this is someone who, who is uh, basically the word submit there. Is, walk through this with me. Is a military term. It doesn't mean that husbands are to be generals and wives to be privates. Uh, basically, it means to fall in line. And they're basically saying, husbands, follow your, uh, sorry, wives, follow your husbands. That's all it means. That means submit means to let him lead. All right, when Ida said, you know what, let's switch places. That was some good advice. That was good leadership. Wives, you are a leader in your home. Like I said, my wife is my number one counselor, my number one advice giver. She is uh, my teacher, my number one teacher. She teaches because she loves me. She's teaching me and showing me how to be a better man, how to be a greater leader. And then she lets me lead. She lets me lead. You know, a lot of husbands say, well, I just let my wife lead. I let her lead. But wives, give it right back to him. Let him lead. Let him lead. It says in Ephesians 5, 20, when it says, uh, he goes on, he talks about the wives. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. By the way, this is, uh, says that women and men are on equal footing with God. They're on equal footing in this world. By the way, this is not about men and women. This is about husbands and wives. This in no way means that a woman cannot lead or direct a company or a business or be a boss over a man. This has nothing to do with men and women. This has everything to do with husbands and wives. And this also has nothing to do with the fact that, 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 uh, um, that, that one is not greater than the other. This, this is not meaning that husbands are better than wives or that wives uh, have to you know grovel. It, this is totally misunderstood. It basically just means... Let him lead. But he begins by saying, submit to one, uh, one to another. He says, man, you're on equal footing here. You have the same value before the Lord and in society and in this world. Respect and submit to each other. And then he says, next verse, wives, submit to your husbands. See, this is a husband and wife thing. He says, as to the Lord. So this is a, this is a God thing. And he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, this word submission here has often been abused, has been used to attack and degrade, and uh, tear down women and put them under the, the feet of men. Uh, it's often misunderstood. And because of that, it is resisted because there's a lot of men that are terrible leaders, that are manipulative, that are controlling, that are mean, that are harsh, that are passive. And as a result, a lot of wives have to take the role. The wives are in front and uh, because they want their husbands to lead. And by the way, this is a beautiful picture because when you lead, you put your wife in front of you. Guys, listen, when you are leading... You serve your wife. You let her go first. You serve her first. That's what a good leader does. You're guiding the direction, but you're communicating equally. But here's what happens. A lot of times the man's in the back seat because he wants to lead, but the wife is in a position where he's not leading. And so when he does nothing, she has to lead. Now, if you've ever been in the canoe and you've been in the front and you're having to steer, it's it's possible to steer a boat from the front, but it's hard. And it's, it takes more energy from the front just because of the weight of the balance of how uh, the canoe works. Submission is misunderstood. Here's some things that it's not. Submission does not mean that women are inferior. It doesn't mean that at all. I think I think we would most agree that the most of the women in this room are probably smarter than most of the men in this room. And all the husbands said, Amen. It also, submission does not mean that men have control. doesn't mean that at all. Because a good marriage is not about control. It's about teamwork. It's about a relationship where you walk and talk and work together. Communication. Tiny said it just right. The key to getting this canoe in the right direction is talking, communicating, and listening to each other and, uh, and agreeing on the direction on how things are going to work. Number three, uh, submission does not mean obedience to men. This does not mean that the women have to obey or bow down to men. This is a husband and wife thing. And this does not mean that wives have to uh, obey their husbands. This means let him lead. Let him lead. That's what it means. Submit does not mean that you are silent. It does not mean be quiet and get me some tea. It doesn't mean be quiet, I'm the boss. It doesn't mean if you ever as a husband have to say submit, then you're not a leader because she will follow a good leader what it comes down. If you are leading as a servant, as a, as one who sacrifices, who is gentle and who is communicating and treating her as an equal, then she will follow you and you won't have to make her follow you anywhere. And if your husband is not leading, it does not mean be quiet and let him, you know, mess up the family or something. It means speak up. Like when my wife takes me aside and says, you know what? I need you to pursue me more. I like that. I like, you know, when I after Sunday morning, I'm going to go home and I'm going to. My wife's in Kidventure, and I miss that part of her being in service because I love to go home and say, "Tell me what you thought about the service today." Was I harsh? Will I say it all right? And she'll, you know what? She says, "You know, it was really good." And when she says it's good, I know it's good because because she knows the real me. She knows my stories. She's uh, heard half my messages already, right? And and if I'm a hypocrite at home, then she's going to hate everything I preach here. So when she says, "Oh man, that was good. It was powerful with this and that." Man, I, I take that to heart. If you say it, man, you could just be buttering me up. You could just say, you know, whatever. Every guest that's ever come to the Living Way, I shake their hand. How'd you like it? Oh, it's good. It was good. I'm sure maybe it was good. I don't know. Uh, but when my wife says it's good, I believe that because she knows me. And there are times when she says, "You know what, Ted? You shouldn't have said." Da-da-da-da-da. That that joke was a little harsh. That little joke was off color. Sometimes she'll sit over there and go, she'll know where I'm going. And she'll go, no. (laughs) Because she knows she's protecting me. I love that. She's not silent. So here's a couple of things real quick. Submission is putting his needs and interests above your own. It means letting him lead. It means encouraging him to lead. It means helping him to lead. Paul says it this, he explains it in Ephesians 5.30 when he says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul wraps it up with this in verse 33. He says, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. There's a great book that came out a couple years ago called Love and Respect, and it focuses on this idea in Ephesians and Colossians that God has created us, uh, that a woman... Uh, she has a deep need for love and a man has a deep need for respect. And uh, oftentimes the fuel for a woman is love and affection and the fuel for a husband, for a man is respect, right? Nothing triggers anger in a man or an argument in a man or a sense of ready to fight in a man than when he is disrespected. And the Bible says, husbands love your wives, man, that's going to be rich. To her, she's going to want to follow you to the ends of the earth. If you love her like Christ does, how Christ loves us, with grace and forgiveness and sacrifice and serving her, putting her first, listening to her, valuing her input and leading together. And when it comes time to making tough decisions where you're not sure if you're eye to eye, you graciously make a decision that's based on her best, not your best. See, that's the only time when that leadership really makes a difference where you understand the rules because there's going to be times when you don't agree on everything. For the most part, you could go through life in total agreement, but there are times when you don't and those are the times when this verse makes sense where you have to graciously make a decision based upon her best or your family's best interest and she has to, with trust, follow the leadership that you are providing for her. That's when it comes in in handy. That's when it comes important. It's called the cycle of love. I've uh, shared this before. When a husband loves his wife, well, that gives her a tremendous amount of motivation to respect her. When he feels respected, man, he just wants to love on her. And when she feels loved, she wants to respect him. And when he feels respected, he wants to love on her. And so the cycle of life The beautiful cycle of love. But let's remove one of those elements. Let's just say that, for instance, he decides he's not going to love her. He's not going to show affection. He's not going to be gentle. He's not going to be that servant leader that God's called him to be. Well, she doesn't respect that. Where's the man she married? Where's the leadership she desires? All of a sudden, that lack of love and gentleness and affection is all of a sudden going to motivate her to pull back her sense of respect. Well, if he doesn't feel respected, he's not going to love her. If she doesn't feel loved, she's not going to respect him. And that's the cycle of death. And that's where a lot of marriages end up. Here's the number thing. Uh, number two, wives. Uh, your wives, um, I'm sorry, your husbands need your respect. That's, You know, I told husbands, you need to pursue your wife. Wives, you need to give something valuable to your husband. And that is respect. It's food for a soul. You know, when you're in Jamaica, you know, when you, you they, you guys are selling stuff everywhere on the street and when you don't buy something they go respect respect man respect so I, that's all i was thinking it came to mind i wrote it down in my notes it probably means nothing to you but i just thought you know respect men your relationships are to mirror god's relationship to us as christ leads in love so are we to lead in love first john 419 says we love because he first loved us and therefore men you are to first love her you are the leader don't initiate Uh, Don't wait for her to initiate, you initiate. Pride, apathy, machoism often keep us back, men. When women take the lead in love, it eventually wears on them and leads to withdrawal and disrespect. The problem is is that most men, we've never learned how to love a woman and we've never learned how to be affectionate or gentle with a woman because we're all a bunch of dysfunctional men who have dysfunctional fathers. (laughs) Some of you have had beautiful examples, but the majority of us have not. And so we're just winging it. And, and the negatives that we've learned uh, are overpowered. Uh, I mean, they overpower the positives that we hear. Men, as leaders, we must learn the first step is ours to take. Proverbs 4 says, esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. That's the love and respect in action. If you love her first, she will respect you. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. Boy, that's a, that's a downer. Enjoy your life. You're not going to find that on a plaque somewhere. <laughs> enjoy your wife all the days of this meaningless life. That's, that's over your bed. Women, notice that in both in Ephesians and Colossians, Paul starts off by talking to women. Have you noticed that? Even though men are to take the lead, it starts off by women saying, wives, submit. Why? Because women expect their husbands to lead, but are prone to take over when they don't. So Paul is saying, guys, wives, they may not be leading like they should, but let him lead. I have a question. Should he love her when he is not respected? Answer? Yes. Should she respect him when he is unloving? According to the Bible, yes. Here's a: It's biblical. The verses we read, here's another one. First Peter 3 says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands. That means follow his leadership. Let him lead. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by their behavior. That means here's it if' if you're, a, hus- if you're a, a wife and your husband's not a believer, let him lead. okay? Uh, when they see the purity and the reverence of their lives, your beauty, true inner beauty, should not come from outward adornments such as braided hair, wearing of gold jewelry, or fine clothes. He's, he's, not, he's not saying there's anything wrong with these sort of things. He's saying don't let that be the source of your beauty. Your beauty must come from the inside, not from the outside. He says instead it should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great value in God's sight says the husband is unconditionally to love his wife so the wife is to unconditionally love her husband that's called the miracle cycle here's one more picture is it when a husband loves his wife regardless of her respect she and when she respects her husband regardless of her love miracles begin to happen in a marriage So I want to wrap up with these couple of thoughts. I need to wrap this up. A couple of things for marriage. We talked about we talked to men, we talked to uh, sorry, we talked to husbands, we talked to wives. I want to talk to to all of you who are thinking about getting married. Here's the gist of Colossians those two verses tell us this. Is number 1, selfishness is a poison. Both of them were challenged. Wives submit. There's a sense of of sacrifice. Husbands love. There's a tremendous picture of sacrifice. When we both in a marriage decide to be selfish, poison is injected into the veins of our love life. And Paul is saying, you know what? It's hard to be the one. It's hard to be one when there's selfishness. Here's the second thing this verse tells us is that there will be conflict. He says, husbands don't be harsh. He says there's gonna be times when you want to be angry. There's gonna be times when both of you are going to be upset. There's a time when, when you guys are going to be wanting to paddle in totally different directions, when, when somebody's uh, wanting to go this way and somebody's wanting to go that way and you're going to fight against each other, there will be conflict. The Bible tells us this. But here's the third thing, is that trouble comes when your marriage is not a top priority. He says this, he says, wives, put it back to where you're serving your husbands. Husbands, put it back to where you're serving your wife. Both place the other person above themselves and above their own desires, even over their job, Over their kids, over their friends, over their dreams, even over a calling. When it is God first, husbands and wives second, our spouse second. I want to wrap it up with reading this verse in Colossians. It says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's a movie out this weekend. We all know what it is. Fifty Shades of, of Grey. And today's message, Fifty Shades of Grace, is is, is not just a pun, but it is there's, there's a word in there that is required for life in a marriage, and that is grace. Apart from Christ, there will be this constant struggle in your marriage about guiding and leadership and, and understanding God's plan and will for your marriage. When you understand the grace of God for you as an individual, marriage begins to be healed. And when you give that same grace to each other in marriage, the past begins to be healed. So I want to challenge you guys today. As we leave this portion and next week we're going to talk about kids, we're going to talk about work. I want you to think about where you're love life is right now. If you're single, I want you to think about it. If you're married, if you're single again, let's just close our eyes for a second. I want you to think about where your marriage is right now. I want you to think about what God has talked to you today about your role in the canoe. You cannot live your life like you're still in the kayak when you're in a canoe with somebody. You have to communicate talk have clear understanding of who's leading there's a big measure of servanthood and patience and a lot of grace I want you to, if you're married, I want you to think about the canoe and I want to put you and your husband uh, or your, uh, your wife in that canoe. I want you to think of that canoe with you and your husband, or you and your wife in that canoe. And I want to see you try to canoe in your mind. Go ahead and try to. How's that look? Anybody getting soaked? God, I pray that you would help us to to canoe down the river of life. If Jesus is our guide, God, show us how to live and to walk. Heal our marriages, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to end with this thought while Sean's gonna come up and we're gonna pray. Is it you know, if you're in a canoe, the guy in the back or the person in the front, there's water flopping around everywhere, isn't there? There's a lot, and you know what? You have two responses. You can either get mad, if you're in a canoe, you can either get mad that you're getting wet, or you can laugh, turn it into a real good time. Right? It's all about the perspective of how you look at the trials of your marriage. So I want to challenge you, don't be mad about getting soaked. Just turn that into a good time and let God begin to shape you and help that to be a learning experience for you and your spouse as you go forward together. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for love and marriage. God, I thank you for for friends. I got to thank you that there are single people here that are desiring to be married and Lord, I pray that you give them a, a clear eyes of what it means to be a, a man of God, and what it means to be a woman of God. And I pray for our husbands, that they would rise to the challenge to be a great leader, a servant, patient, caring, grace-filled, sacrificial servant leader. And God, I pray for our wives, that they would be the counselor that these men need, uh, that they would be the support, the encouragement, that they would give their husbands the respect that they so much desire, that our husbands, God, would learn to be affectionate and loving to their wives. And God, as they together, God, are a model for what the kingdom of God looks like on this earth. God, I pray that people would be be able to look at their marriage and go, Thank you, Jesus. That looks like heaven. In Jesus' name.